Today, I'm going to just come down here. That's okay with you guys. If you, don't, if you say no, just tell your, tell your spouse or somebody else. Uh, I, I just want to share from my heart this morning and be with you guys. And so uh, pray with me as we get into the word this morning. Father in heaven, I love you. I thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. Father, I even thank you for your discipline. Although I don't welcome it, I know you love me by it. I know you love me by it. And I pray this morning, Father, that you would open up the word of God and enrich us, Lord. We don't want to just be educated. We don't want to be just theologians. Father, we want to walk out this life like a disciple following you, giving their life, Lord, as a living sacrifice to do whatever it is that you ask us to do, whatever purpose you've called us to. And so I pray today, Father, as we dig into your word, oh, Lord, I pray, would you move the eyes of flesh out of the way and let us see what the eyes of the Spirit got, what you desire, what you desire for us, your faithfulness. So we love you and we thank you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I just want to kind of backtrack a little bit and just say when I, when I, when I came to the idea of the Ten Commandments, I thought, why, now why are we doing Ten Commandments? You know, it's, it's one of those things that's a bit taboo because people think Ten Commandments run. You know, we don't, we don't want to get hit over the head because we know uh, those tablets break. So we're, gonna, we're not going to mess around with that. So, so when I was thinking this, um, this week about the Ten Commandments, I started asking myself, Scott, why? why? Now, why? I, I like to do this little uh, exercise. So if you ever ask me a question and I start asking you why more than one time, just know I'm just processing with you. I like to ask the five whys, you know. Why? You explain why. You explain why. You just go on. My kids are victims of this. So, you know, just feel like you're loved when I ask you why five times. No, I'm not denying what you say. I'm trying to help you process and may do the same. And so what I arrived at simply was this, is that why are we talking about the Ten Commandments? Why is, that in, why is it important to us, specifically to Harrison Faith? And so I want to just kind of back up and give you a context and say, first off, that we know that uh, when, we look at the, when we look at the Ten Commandments, we know that God had a plan for Israel, he had a destination for them. He had a promised land. He had somewhere where he wanted them to go. He delivered them from the enemy's camp. He delivered them from the, uh, the slavery of the Egyptian taskmaster. And he wanted to bring them to a place that, he could, that they could worship him. That's what he thought about Israel. But before he sent them out to inherit the promised land, he, brought them from, he delivered them from their old taskmasters brought them to this place in Mount Sinai, and before he took them to a promised land, he had to stop for a moment and have a meeting, and the meeting was about this. It's important that you know who I am. It's important that you know who I am. Before you go and take over the promised land and you inherit and inhabit the blessing, the plan, the purpose that I have for you, it's important that you first know who I am. Because if you get into a place of promise, and you forget who I am, you'll think that you did this and that you'll begin to worship yourself and praise yourself and then you'll turn from me, which is all prophesied in uh, Deuteronomy uh, via Moses, and then, and then I'll have to judge you, remind you who I am by my wrath and not my love. So it's important for us, here's some faith, that the Lord, if, if we look at where we're at now, we know the Lord has, has brought us from a place where he just recently um, has done great things and showed us how awesome he is. 
And we are here at this place, and in my whole heart, I believe the place that God is taking us, he is stopping us now to say, before we go, and before you see the purpose and the plan that I have for you specifically, I need to show you who I am. I need you to understand who I am. And so today, um, that's what we're going to pray. Lord, show us who you are. So I know, so number one, I know who I am because you don't know who you are unless you know who God is. And then also show me how to live. So Lord, show us who you are so we know who we are and we know how to live. Let me just recap last week. Last week we learned that we were to uh, place God first, to put no other gods before him. That means to bring no other gods before him. But also that also speaks to this particular uh, principle that when he says no other gods before him, he's simply admitting this, you need to know who you're worshiping. Knowing who he is is important. Not just that you have other gods, you need to know who I am. Because if you know who I am, you know, number one, there are no other gods. They're just your imagination. But you also know what I require. And so this brings us to a place uh, of number two. Matter of fact, also let me re- remind you of this, is that God wants us to know who he is, but he also wants you to know that he loves you so much that he is jealous over you when you start to love things that offer you lesser in life. It's important that we understand that because sometimes we think he's just a God on the throne who is just consumed with himself. Really, he desires your love and your devotion, and so he is jealous over anything that would give you a lesser life because he wants to give you his life. So this brings us to number two. So the first commandment is simply dealing with who he is, and the second commandment is dealing with how we are to worship him. So the first commandment is who he is. The second one is how do we worship. You can't just worship God any way you want to. Uh, There's a a prescribed way. In fact, uh, you guys remember the story of Cain and Abel. Cain killed Abel, right? Because why? Well, he was jealous. Why? Because his form of worship was accepted uh, or wasn't accepted by God, and his brother's was. Because God says, I rejected him and accepted this because you, because you didn't offer rightly. You didn't worship. You didn't praise rightly. And so, so Cain builds this jealousy over his brother and kills him. So really, the first homicide in the Bible, the first murder, is over the fact that worship wasn't done rightly. So what you need to understand is that the Lord desires a, a specific way in which we worship. You can't just worship God in any old way that you want to. We'll see that in just a second. And so that we know that when we worship rightly, we worship rightly because we worship a real thing. We want our worship to be real because we're worshiping a real God. A real God demands real worship. You want a real God. You don't want a fake God. When you're praying, you don't want a God who doesn't exist. We want a real God, so we give him real worship. So what happens when we fail to offer real worship? Let's go to Exodus chapter 32. So as you're turning there, I want you to just kind of get the story. Moses has already uh, uh, been on the mountaintop probably 46 days. Uh, he was up there for about six days, and then 40 days at the top of the mountain in, in the side of the fire. And so he's on this mountain for a long time, and, and they're thinking, when is this man going to come back down the mountain? Because we are waiting for him to lead us into this promised land. And so this is where we pick up. Verse 1, we're going to go through uh, verse 10. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As 
for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what, his, what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take the, off the rings of gold that are in your ears of your wives and your sons. Well, see there, even your sons had earrings back then. And your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast of the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Uh, and that play is a very G-rated word for what they did there. And the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people. Notice this. Go, go down for your, this is the Lord speaking. Go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt. Y'all ever come home and your wife say, let me tell you something about your daughter. Let me tell you something about your son. Now, I, don't, I never heard that because I usually beat Julie home. So uh, that's never come my way. But there have been many times where I tell Julie, let me, let me tell you what your daughter did. Let me tell you what your daughter said. Have you ever done that before? Because when they're good, that's your child. But when they're not good, that's not your child, all right? We have a term in our house called nacho, like the nachos that you eat at Lindo's. Nachos, it's nacho child, all right? So it's nacho child when, when, when they're doing something wrong. And this is what the Lord's saying. He said, uh, those are not my people, those are your people. They have turned aside quickly out of the way I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Anybody know somebody who's stiff-necked? <laughs> now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. Let me press the reset button, Moses, and let me work it all over again with you. Thankfully, Moses was interceding here. But what I want you to understand is that the Lord is a bit, a bit heated because while he is writing these Ten Commandments and he is, and is giving over to Moses, he knows what's happening at the foot of the mountain right now, that they're building a golden calf. And so he's a bit heated, obviously. But what I want you to understand is that they're building a, they're building a golden cow. Now, I know you guys like cows. I, I drove around Harrison for a little bit, and some of you guys love some cows. Uh, some of y'all love cows more than others. But, uh, but I know of all, this, this should hit home for you guys. Now, hopefully you ain't got a golden calf at your house if you do, uh, don't tell me about it. Um, but notice this. God just delivered Israel from 400 years of oppression from Egyptian slavery. He led them out through the splitting of a sea. He fed them, uh, and he, he gave them water uh, miraculously, supernaturally. Um, he, he went before them in a cloud by day and a, and a, a, a pillar of fire by night. Uh, he had 70 of the elders come up to the mountain, eat, drink, and it says they beheld God. Not only they beheld him face to face, but that's what it implies. And then the rest, he revealed himself on the bottom of the mountain. He revealed himself to them in fire and smoke on the mountain with thunder and lightning. And then after all of that, my question is, 
How in the world did they come up with the idea that a cow did that? This is a cow. You understand, this is it's crazy to me. I'm thinking, it's a cow. Of all the things you want to create, you create a cow that causes fire and smoke to fall upon the, the mountain of God, that creates fear, that delivers and, and supplies, that it eliminates all of the oppression. You, you said a cow? I mean, when I think about a cow, I think about something that is totally coming to there. You'll get it in just a second. So, no? Hey, there's a cow. Now, now, I'm thinking this can't be the Trinity. You know what I mean? Like, this can't be the Trinity. I'm not even going to ask who the one on the right is, you know? <laughs> but I'm thinking, how in the world is 0517 going to know what 0516 is thinking and how to call thunder down from, it's a cow. <laughs> Let's worship the cow. Holy cow. You know, like... I could hear just just right there. I had to, yeah. <laughs> but you know, when I thought about this a little further, I thought, you know what? Before I judge too much, uh, let maybe there's some other reasons why they chose the cow. I don't know. Maybe the cow's not even the problem because you know the the, the scripture simply says that we're not supposed to um, bow down to graven images or crafted images. And, and then this not necessarily what the scripture is leaning to, because if we're not supposed to uh, cre- or craft graven images, uh, then the, the bronze serpent, that wasn't to be good. And then there's, a, there's also the cherubim that sits on top of the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, those things are, are representing God. So, so is it really the creating of things that are wrong, or is there another principle behind it that's really wrong? And really what we see is the Lord says, there's some issues in your heart that, that, that wants to make you make stuff and, and worship things that you create. And that's what I want to look at with Israel here. It's not that it was just a golden calf. Um, it was something other. Notice this in, uh, in verse 1. He says that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain. Now, here's what I'm thinking, is that they're ready for him to come down, and as he delayed coming down the mountain, I'm thinking probably they're thinking to themselves, I'm tired of waiting. I don't feel like he's ever going to come. Do you feel like he's going to come? I don't think he's going to come. You know what I feel like we should do? I feel like we should go ahead and just make our own God. Oh, so what we should do is forsake what Moses said and what the Lord said back in chapter 24, verse 18, when he says, wait here for us until we return to you, and we should just trust our feelings instead of it. And that's what happens sometimes with us, is that we get to trust in our feelings, and we forsake our faith. Then the second thing is, is the desire. Make us gods who shall go before us. We have a desire that we need God to fulfill. I got a box that I need you to get in, God, for me, if you don't mind, because here's what I need. And so they have a desire, and then there's this demand. Well, what's it going to cost you to make a God? Well, all I got is some gold in my earrings. I'm not going to give you everything I got. I'm not going to sacrifice more. I'm not going to lavish God. I'm just going to give you a little bit. And so we see that in verse 32 too as well. He said, just take off the rings of gold that are in the ears. 
And so all it took was a small investment. We need a great God to go before us, and it'll cost us in the gold in our ears and nothing more. I need little demand from me, God. I need you to go before me and, and rout out my enemies. What do you want from me? Yeah, I got some gold for you. That's it. That's all you get. Now, you don't want that life of living sacrifice. And so these three issues really are crucial to our conversation today. And although I trust none of us are worshiping cows, I'm just going to take that on faith in here, I can't help to say that we're not worshiping idols. In fact, I would say that the church in America has a severe problem in worshiping idols. And even in this church, we have some idols. And so I'm just going to ask, number one, that you remind yourself that I am not God. I am just his messenger this morning. And that as much as I come to shake my children out of love, I want you to know that my heart this morning is, is to love you. If, if, if you are to ever to walk in the, in the way that God desires you to walk, you must know who he is. And today we're going to look at who he's not, and then we'll see who he is. So what are these idols that we have that are now that really existed back then? Well, we have this idol called the idol of feelings around here. And in our church, our culture has created that. The idol of feelings, we, we worship feeling when we elevate the truth of our feelings over the truth of God's word. That's, that's, that's how we're worshiping feelings. And this is so prominent in our culture today. We'll, we'll elaborate that on that later on. But what I want you to understand is when I'm talking about the idol of feelings, I'm saying we worship what we feel over the truth of what God's word tells us is true. Because we say to ourselves, I don't think God really meant that. We're reading scripture. I don't think God really, God would never ask us. That, that God's, a, God's a loving God. He's, he's, I, I don't feel that's right. Well, you'd be surprised. Because before your guy's all lovey-dovey with a 70s haircut, he is a holy, righteous, awesome God. And he sat on his throne in eternal past before he showed up in the flesh, in the skin, in a baby. Long before he was ever powerless, he was always all-powerful. And so there's no time where he can just say, uh, no, you're right. That's probably not best for you. Let me just take my word back. For him to deny his word would be for him to deny himself. And so when the God gives us a strong drink for us to actually take down and say, this is good for us. It's as hard for us, but it's good for us. It's actually the love of God showing us what he desires for us and keeping us from a problem or harm that would cause us later on in the future. And so God is saying, yes, that's exactly what I meant. Sometimes we say, you know what, I just don't feel like worshiping today. Can I be real? I didn't feel like worshiping today. I just didn't feel like it. It's hot. I don't like being hot, you know. That's how I am. The hotter I get, the crankier I am. And so I'm like, Lord, if I clap, I'm going to start sweating. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if I tripled up today, so I don't, you know, I'm, I just need to kind of be. And so I don't want, but it's not about, it's not about what Scott feels. Who cares what Scott feels? I'm creation. He is creator. You see, you see, he molds me, right? He is that potter. Everything that I am will ever know, ever love in life is what he crafts into my life. 
And every bit of pain that I welcome into my life are the things that I reject that are good, that he longs to give me. Who cares what I think about? Who cares what I feel about? It's not a matter of me. I don't come because, and worship God because it's something I want to do or I feel like I need to do. I worship God because he is worthy. And to the point of this, that there's times when you walk into the sanctuary and you know you've not been living right that week. It does not mean that your worship is not good. We don't worship God based off our merit or how we feel. We worship God for who he is. Who he is. And sometimes our worship of who he is stands in stark contrast of all we're not. But what makes it any different when you're walking in line with God and when you're not walking in line with God? You're still just as worthless when you serve him as you are when you're not serving him. Your worth is not tied up in what you've done or who you are. It's tied up in who you worship. And so when we say, I can't worship that song, I don't feel it. Don't tell me or Cody that. Amen, Cody? We ain't got time for it. And you know what? Your feelings lead you astray. Your feelings lead you into those bad relationships. Your feelings lead you into those addictions. Your feelings lead you into those bad career opportunities, a bad choice of a job. Your feelings lead you astray. How do I know that? Because Jeremiah 17, 9 tells me this, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Not me. I know better. I know that there's, there's times in my heart I feel towards a certain way, but I have to check myself because I know I know Scott Brandon. I know that Christ is living in me and, and, and working through me, but that does not mean that, that Scott does not try to resurrect every day of his life and, and show up and say, I'm back on the block. I got some decisions to make. No, you don't. Because I know how you choose, Scott Brandon. You are selfish to the core, and you will sacrifice relationships in your life to better yourself or your own selfish desire. I know who Scott Brandon is. When I tell you I'm worthless, I'm just not using some kind of preacher talk. I know who Scott Brandon is. And so I know when he rears his head up and starts to want things, I put him in his place and I say, Scott Brandon, your heart is deceitful above all things. And so I will not choose truth based off how you feel. Matter of fact, you're dead. You ain't got a voice anyway. And so the danger in that idol is simply this, is that our feelings have replaced trust. That our feelings have now become the great validator of what's true and what's not true. And that is increasingly dangerous. Because now what used to be objective is now subjective. That means what is factually true is now only true if you interpret it to be true. You see this already working right now in our world. Why? Because the idol of feelings is the thing we worship. The second idol is this, the idol of convenience and low commitment. Mm. There is an idol that we serve, convenience and low, low commitment. We don't, we don't need too much. We just need a little. I'm going to give too much. I'm just going to give a little. I read this probably some years ago. It says, I would like to buy about $3 worth of the gospel, please. Not too much, just enough to make me happy, but not so much that I get addicted. I don't want so much gospel that I learn to really hate covetousness and lust. I certainly don't want so much that I start to love my enemies, cherish self-denial, and contemplate missionary service in some alien culture. I want ecstasy, not repentance. I want transcendence, not transformation. I would like to be cherished by some nice, forgiving, broad-minded people, but I myself don't want to love those 
people from different races or different uh, ethnicities, especially if they smell. I would like enough gospel to make my family secure and my children well behave, but not so much that I find my ambitions redirected or my giving too greatly enlarged. I would like about $3 worth of the gospel, please. And that's the truth. We Americans understand this because it's not only available, but it's preached at times too. We have this mindset, right? When we come, we say, what's the littlest I can do and still make it to heaven? What, what's, what's the requirement, Lord? How high do you need me to jump? I don't, I don't want to jump. I just need to know what it takes to get in. Because I got some things I got to do myself. And we have replaced the God who has asked us to be a living sacrifice to a God who understands how busy we are. Well, you know how busy I am. You know how busy this is. And when we get into a place, we begin to get out of balance with him. And can I tell you that this idol is the, one of the most destructive idols in church. Let me just show you where it shows up. These statistics, these statistics that I have are prior to COVID, so at, they've actually worsened a little bit. Concerning low, con, low commitment and, and convenience, what we see right now in terms of church attendance is that one out of every three Sundays, people are showing up. How many of y'all remember when you went to church every single time the door open. God, please, not another week-long revival. I, I don't, I got school to do. My mom was always, she was always playing the, 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 the piano. So we were there whether we liked it or not. Whether he was of God or not, we were there, you know? <laughs> Lord Jesus, if you would save this man, this revival would be over with, you know? Uh, so one out of three times on Sundays, which really equates to the average Christian being in church 17 to 18 times a year. That's 17 to 18 times out of 52. And then we, have, we see it show up in spiritual disciplines, that we lack the ability to wait on God in prayer. We don't got time for that. I need a God of, of convenience. I need you to show, I got four minutes and 32 seconds, God. Lord, I got two minutes and 45 seconds at the altar. Can, you, can we expedite this? Can I get that prime delivery of my message right away, Lord? Can we go ahead and get that un underway? And then we wonder why we don't receive the depth of God's word that actually renews our minds and delivers us from addictions. You don't even wait on God no more. I don't even wait on God no more. I'm busy, God. I'm busy. But surely you understand that my schedule is for you, Lord. I'm trying to worship you. I had the best excuse of all y'all in here, and it still don't matter. The Lord ain't trying to hear my excuses. That's just disciplines. We don't wait on him in worship, in prayer, or reading our word. But let's talk about tithing as well. Tithing right now, prior to, prior to 2018, is about 2.5% nationwide. Now, I did not look at our tithing here because I wanted to walk up here with a fresh mind, a fresh conscience. I don't know. I've not looked at the stats of this church. But I'm just telling you, nationwide, it's 2.5% currently. Can I give you a contrast? It was 3.3% in the Great Depression. In the Great Depression, people were given at 3.3%, whereas 2018, it was only 2.5%. And those who make the most give the least. Of, this, of the people who are the households that make 75000 or more, only 1% gave at least 10%. 
37% of those people gave nothing but demanded everything. And you may say, oh, Pastor Scott, I don't tie with my, my money. I tie with my time. Yeah. But if you're going to tie with your time, let's talk about volunteerism. Only 25%, as of 2018, only 25% of the adults in church are actually volunteers. In fact, if you are to tithe with your time, you realize that would be 16.8 hours a week you'd have to give it your time. That's a lot of time, 17 hours in a week. And so it's hard for us to get past the statement and the truth that the average Christian attends less, gives less, and serves less, but expects more. not an easy message, guys. But I want you to know the Lord desires, He desires for your life to be enriched with Himself, for you to know what fulfillment and purpose is, for you to know what joy is, for you to see your prayers come true, for Him to unroll the scrolls of life and of Scripture, and you see the depth of His Word, and He would use your mouth to speak hope and then to joy to somebody else who has no clue of the love or the faithfulness of God. He desires for you to be that person, but it's so hard when we demand so much but give so little. Which leads us to a place where we serve the idol of entitlement. You know, it's that my family and my kids deserve even the best around here. Although I'm not giving of my time, my money, or my, um, or my attendance. And for those who do tithe, right, the tendency is to simply say this, because I serve and because I give, I deserve the best this church has to give. There's the entitlement. You, we've talked about entitlement for years. We've been talking about the millennial generation and Gen Z. They're so entitled. They're so entitled. They think I should just give them a job. They think I should just give them a paycheck. I should just give them a raise. Yet we go to church expect the same thing. Lord, that church didn't minister to my family. I'm out of here. They didn't, they didn't treat me like I was somebody special. They didn't even know I was there, Lord. He says, oh, is you serving? Was you volunteering? Was you giving to things? Was you worshiping? Was you praying for people? Was you checking in on them? They didn't know you was there because I didn't know you was there. Mm. It's just about me, Lord. Instead of serving, you expect to be served. Instead of sacrifice, you expect God to understand your schedule. Instead of giving, you expect to receive. And sometimes I feel like as well that the older generation... You know, you get to a place in your life, my seniors, we say, you know what, I've, 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 I've given, I've served my whole life. And I thought, Lord, please don't make me. Uh, but here's what I know. The kingdom of God has no retirement plan here on earth. In fact, if I could just remind you graciously, I would say this. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross Daily it means every day of your life that you're here, your job is to take up that cross and follow him. How is it that we expect our kids to be faithful 
to, to our instruction and wisdom when we're not faithful to his. And so the real danger in this idol is that, um, again, it creates an idea that we're entitled to something. In fact, as I, as I realized this, I thought, you know, it, it produces a heart in us that's unfaithful. Let me go back to Hosea from what we talked about last week. Hosea and Gomer, remember that? Hosea and Gomer, Hosea was the, he was the prophet, the priest that married the prostitute. And I thought, man, imagine going to a church that doesn't require you to uh, tithe or serve or to be faithful in your attendance. That's okay with them. That's kind of like Gomer the priest saying, it's all right that my wife's a prostitute. It's all right that she's not faithful. It's all right that she doesn't give anything back. That's all right. I don't really need her to be who she needs to be in this marriage, in this relationship. It's okay that she, you know, finds other men to meet her needs. I think, Lord, let us never be a church that that's okay. And here's the reason why. It's because if that ever was okay in the prophet of Jose and, and his wife, Gomer, here's, what's, here's the big issue. The kids are watching. The kids are watching. Oh, dad's okay with that, that kind of behavior. What do you think Jose's kid's going to grow up and be like? Not good. And so if, if Jose is okay in teaching this, that this, this behavior is okay, church, can I tell you, if we don't teach to ourselves that attendance is fundamental, that tithing is scriptural, that volunteering is scriptural as well. If we don't teach these things, what are we teaching our kids that are watching us? I can tell you what we've taught them. We've taught them to hate God. We've taught them to hate God. Pastor Scott, that's a reach. That's a stretch. Okay, follow me. Exodus 20, verse 5. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third, the fourth, and the generation of those who hate me. You see that there? He says, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. There is a problem that is being repeated in the generations. And that problem ends in them hating God. Now, what is it that would cause them to hate God? I can tell you what caused them to hate God. False worship leads to a place where we begin to hate God. Why is that so? Because as we worship a false God, we distort the image of God. And when you distort the image of God, you then begin to serve a God that's not real. How is that a problem? Because when you worship a God that's not real and, he, and you distort his image, what you begin to do is you begin to worship a God who doesn't see your condition, he doesn't hear your problems, and he doesn't speak to your questions. And that begins to create a frustration in you. Why won't God see me? Why won't God listen to me? Why won't God hear me? In fact, David addressed this not too long ago. He says in Psalms 135, The idols of the nations are silver and gold. They work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak. They have eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. And so what happens to our children when we worship false gods is over a period of time, our false worship produces a God that's not real, although we've taught our kids that this is the God, and so they come to a 
real God that they think, but that God doesn't answer back, doesn't care for them, doesn't love them, doesn't validate them, and they find themselves hating a God who they thought was real but actually wasn't real. It's just that generations of mom and dads distorted who the real God was. Are you following what I'm saying this morning? So what happens to our children when they do worship incorrectly? Well, you got to know that whatever you do in your life, they always kind of fall below the standard, right? So when they see you worship the idol of low uh, commitment and convenience, they'll be less committed than you. That's just normal. When they see you worship the idol of feelings, they will forsake truth entirely and begin to objectify even the things that they see right in front of them to not be truth. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1, verse 18. I want to deal with this as a very cultural issue, but I want you to understand where it comes from. Paul is writing the Roman church, or the church in Rome, and, and he's dealing with some issues, and you guys know that during this time, the church in Rome is, is up against a very debased culture. I would even say that the church in Rome, they were in a culture that rivaled American culture even now. And here's what he says. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth about God. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or worship him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Now, therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies amongst themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relationships with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manners of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, and disobedient to parents. Notice all of that was a judgment. It started at the word, therefore. Therefore, God gave them up. Can I tell you that when we deal with this matter of homosexuality in our culture, we're dealing with the penalty of God upon a culture. We're not talking about someone being born that way. We're talking about God saying, you know what? You have totally exchanged truth for a lie. But notice this. They came to that place 
not so easy. It, 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 wasn't, uh, it wasn't just uh, uh, we did wrong. The Lord sought to penalize the culture. The culture began to exchange truths for lies because they knew the truth. God says, I revealed my attributes. I revealed myself even in nature so that they would be without excuse. But even then, they darkened their hearts. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they saw things that were right in front of them and said, no, that is not that. That is this. No, you're not a man. You're a woman. No, you're not a woman. You're a man. And they exchanged truths. The Lord says, because you're exchanging truths, my judgment is to give you over to your flesh and to penalize you. Man, that, 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 that bothers my heart. That the Lord says, basically homosexuality is not something that reflects our sexual orientation. It is the consequence imposed on a culture that has worshipped creation over the creator. It is the penalty for their error. And the reason why they are that way is because we showed them a distorted, a distorted God. And they came to a place, they were expecting God to be who he was, and he wasn't who he was, and their hearts turned from him. And they turned from the truth. And they turned from his revelation of himself, not only in Christ, but in creation and in its conscience. They turned from those things, and they hated a real God because they were serving a false one. And, and the problem really comes down to the parents. It's the generations that gave them false gods. So when we look at this, problem that we have in America, we have to go back to generations and say, where did the worshiping of a false god come from? Makes no difference because we're in the here and now. You know the truth and that truth sets you free. We see that the second commandment is God trying to communicate to us that there is a grave penalty, but there's also a tremendous blessing that I love. And that is this, Exodus 34, 6-7. God says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious and slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That's the promise that we have. If we seek him as the God he desires to be. Guys, what I can tell you is simply this. Are we going to mess up in life? Yeah. But if you will see God for who he is and honor him for who he is, there's always steadfast love. There's always mercy. There's always forgiveness. There's always grace. For thousands. That's what the word says. We don't have to come under the penalty of the, of the consequence of, of our lifestyle and worshiping falsely. We can resubmit ourselves any moment and claim the promises of God for ourselves. And if we teach our children rightly, they will know and experience a true God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, bounding in steadfast love. So you might say, Pastor Scott, what does not worshiping idols have to do with the character of God? How are we seeing God differently? And I'll say this and I'm closing is that the Lord desires you to see him 
and to worship him rightly so that you don't diminish or lessen his grace, his mercy, and his love and forgiveness for us. So if we see God smaller and we worship him smaller, so then smaller is his grace. So then smaller is his forgiveness. So then smaller is his love. I need a God who says where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And so I cannot worship a God of lower standards. Let me worship him the way he desires so that when I need a full atonement for my sin, I get a full atonement, then some. Then some. I don't need God just to forgive me for my sins today. I need forgiveness for sins tomorrow to come. That's what I need from my Lord. And so to, today as I close, I just want to ask you, how do we respond? How do we respond to this? It's not easy. I, can I tell you, this is how I respond because I had to pray through myself. I, I was so, I was so <laughs> superficial. I was talking to the Lord. I was like, Lord, you know, uh, we finally found a house. But there were many days I told the Lord, is this too hard for you? Do you need some help? Do you not know where the houses are? Do you not know what's available? What, what, what could I do? Because I know you're busy. And I know you don't have time for me. And so God, what can I do to, you know, help you be faithful to me? What can I do? And then the Lord struck me and said, even this morning, Scott, you are so concerned about me being faithful to your house and forgot how you aren't being faithful in prayer to my kingdom. Now, whose house really matters more? But I've asked you to pray and build the kingdom, and you won't even pray continually and ask me to find a house. What, what, what God are you worshiping, Scott? Well, God, I was worshiping my feelings. I was expecting a low commitment, convenient God. I was expecting the God of entitlement that says, I gave so much to come up here, I figured you would have it all knocked out for me. I was serving those gods, Lord. And so I'm sorry. That's good. And here's how I prayed. Father, forgive me. Forgive me for twisting you and distorting you. Because it's not just about me. When I live incorrectly, it's about my children not seeing you. And so, Lord, I don't want to raise my kids to hate you. I don't want to raise my grandkids to hate you. So forgive me. And then renew a new heart in me, Lord. Renew a new heart. And I want to realize I, I got to own my sin, but this is not who I want to be. That's not how I want to do. And then, God, give me strength tomorrow that when my schedule gets busy, and things get in my way, and I can't do the things that I'm supposed to be doing, God, give me strength to walk that out. Give me strength to linger in prayer. God, give me strength to dive into your word. It's not enough that I get paid to do it. Somehow, some way, I still find reasons to not do those things. And so, Lord, give me strength because I can't just decide and say, I'm going to be this way tomorrow. It's hard. Yes. It's hard. I understand that. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to ask, 
Have you been hurt? Worshiping rightfully. Do you know who God really is? Do you see him for who he is? Is he distorted? Are you distorting him? What do your children see in you? How are we adding to the culture that's being lost because we continue to distort the image of God by our lack of true worship? We can vote all we want. We can argue all we want. We can post all we want. But our lifestyles are what sets the world in order. So I just want to ask you this morning, is how are you worshiping? Father in heaven, I ask you, Oh God, forgive us. Forgive us, God. You see our heart, Lord. You know. You know, Lord, we've not been right. But we want to do right. And we know that doing right, God, doesn't make us right with you. That's just the expression of our love that we have for you. I'm thankful, God, that I'm right because of Jesus' life and his sacrifice. And not my merit. Oh, God, I need strength to live a lifestyle out that speaks of your goodness, that speaks of your holiness. So, Father, I I pray for this church as well as I pray for me and my family. I ask, God, that you forgive us. Lord, renew our heart. Strengthen us, God. That when Sunday comes, God, it's hard to get up sometimes. That when the offering plate God goes by, it's hard to give sometimes. That when there's need for volunteers, it's hard to, it's hard to volunteer our time sometimes. So Lord, we're, we're going to need strength in those moments. We're going to need your help. We're going to need you to renew our heart. And then Lord, help us to walk clean from our past, God, that we're free of condemnation and guilt. Lord, we love you today. I pray, God, that you would move upon our heart and let us go in this place. I ask it in Jesus' name. I pray. Amen.